So one time this uh, business traveler, he gets a hotel room. He's absolutely exhausted. He wants to just go straight to sleep. And he's lying in bed and he can hear from the room next door whining, crying. And he, he hears the words that, that the person is crying. Oi, oi, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. Oh, I'm so thirsty. Oh, I'm so thirsty. He can't stand it anymore. The guy crying, crying. Oh, I'm so thirsty. So he gets up, gets out of bed. He gets a glass of water. He walks out into the hallway. He knocks on the guy next door's room. He sees this little guy come to the door. He says, yes. He says, look, here's water. Drink the water. You won't be thirsty. Goes back to bed. Gets in bed. It's quiet for a little bit. Then he hears from next door, I, I, I was so thirsty, I was so thirsty. Okay. All right. Speaking of, that's oldie but goodie. Speaking of complaining about thirst, complaining about thirst, you see, it's always a tie-in. This week's Pasha, Pasha's Beshalach, Yidin leave Mitzrayim. And uh, what do we have here? Perik Tezvov, starting with Pasuk Chav Base, 1522. Moshe led the Jews onward from the Sea of Reeds. Vayetsu, they went out El Midbar Shur to a place called the Wilderness of Shur. Vayel Chushleishes Yamim Bamidbar, they went three days in the wilderness. Vayematsumayim, and they didn't find water. Three days without water. That's the setup. Vayavayu Marasa, they came to a place called Mara. Vayachlu Lishtais Mayim Mimara. They were unable to drink the water from Mara, kimarim heim, because the waters were bitter. See the word Mara, marim. Alkain, therefore, kadashma Mara. In fact, that is why that place is called Mara, which means bitterness, because the Jews were unable to drink the water at that place due to its bitterness. And the people complained to Mesha, saying, What shall we drink? I'm so thirsty. So he, Mesha, cried to Hashem. Hashem ate. Hashem showed him a tree, a piece of wood. Mesha threw that wood or that tree into the water. The waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. Hashem did. And there he proved them. Let's talk about this story. We have a few elements. First of all, we have the Jews traveling three days in the wilderness without water. That's one thing. Then we have, they find water, and wouldn't you know it, after three days of dehydration, no water, and they had water in their canteens, but they didn't have new water, 
They had water in their canteens, as we know from a medrash, which I'm going to point out in one second. But they didn't have new water for three days in, in, the, in the wilderness. Obviously, they're limited to how much they can carry with them. So now, after three days of not finding a new source of water, they find water and, oh, rotten luck, wouldn't you know it, the water's bitter. That's the second part of the story. And then the next part of the story, the final part of the story, Moshe fixes the water with a tree or a piece of wood. Okay. So we're going to try to understand this story. And from understanding this story, we're going to also understand how to deal with negative people and negative experiences. People who give us a bad taste in our mouth. Experiences who give us a bad taste in our mouth. It's going to teach us how to deal with negativity. If we can understand the story properly. But before we get more clarity, I want to cause more problems. Which often is the way that we do it when we study Torah is that the more complicated or demanding or difficult the question, then the greater the clarity is that ensues. So I want to add to the um, difficulty for a second before we start to clarify. Uh, in addition to the verses which I read to you, <coughs> which is obviously Tere Shebechsav, it's from you know, scripture, the written law, there's also Tere Shebalpeh, there's the um, oral tradition which elucidates the meanings of all of the verses. Notably, we have from the Medrash, from the Mechilta, Mechilta is Medrash on, on Shmois, on Sefer Shmois, we have some more information about this story. One, one thing the Mechilta tells us, the waters that were bitter were only bitter for the Jews at that time. <coughs> In other words, if you would have come yesterday, or the day after, well certainly the day after because Moshe changed it, but even if that incident hadn't occurred, the waters would have been fine. They were, the waters were only bitter for the Jews at that time. In other words, right when they showed up, again, rotten luck, three days without water, the water was actually fine, and then that's when they became bitter. They became bitter at that time, and only for that time. So that's the first thing the Medrash tells us. A very strange concept. Another thing the Medrash tells us is that at that time, not only was the water from Mara, from the water source there, bitter, but even water that the Jews still had with them in their canteens. Remember, I said we know they have canteens from the Medrash? This is, this is the Medrash. Even water that they'd been carrying with them from other water sources, previous water sources, all of that became bitter at that time too. Okay, so now we have a very strange story. Three days without water, then once you know it, just their luck, they find water and it's bitter, and then Misha fix, fixes the bitter water with a tree, that's according to what we read in the Pesukim. Then the Medrash comes and makes it even a little bit uh, more difficult to understand. It says, it wasn't bitter until they showed up. It was only bitter for that time. That's one thing. And Medrash tells us another thing, that it wasn't just the waters in Mara. It was actually any water that they had would have been bitter, even water from their canteen. Okay. So now we have to understand, let's... To understand this story with all of these details. Because if we can have one way of looking at it that, that clears everything up, this will be 
the, uh, this will be the approach that will, will, will teach us the most. Again, when you build up the question, make the question more difficult, more confusing, and then you have one approach that sort of puts everything into place, then that's the approach that's going to help us the most. And we'll also be able to apply practically. We mentioned we, wanna, we want an instruction and a lesson on how to deal with negative or bitter experiences, people, places, things. Okay. Um, so I'm going to tell you a story. It's actually, it's, a, it's not even a story, it's, it's a muscle, it's a parable, an old parable. There was once uh, an old farmer who was out in his field and there was a road that went through the field and one day a traveler was walking down the road and he stopped and he saw the farmer and he said, excuse me, sir, do you know the town up ahead, further down the road? The farmer says, yeah, sure. He says, well, uh, it so happens that I'm moving there right now. Um, and before I move there, I've never been there, but I have to move there. I'd like to know what are the people like in that town? So the farmer says, well, let me ask you a question. What are the people like in the town that you're moving from? So he says, oh, they're wonderful people. They're always looking out for each other. They're so supportive, so honest, so humble, and I'm really going to miss them. I hate to have to leave them. And the farmer says, well, I want you to know that the people you will find in the town that you're going to right now are just like that. And the traveler is happy with the news, and he continues on. A little while later, farmer's still out in his field, and another traveler comes walking down the, down the same road, same direction, stops, and he says to the farmer, he says, Is, you know the city that's, uh, that's up ahead, or the, the, the town? Farmer says, yeah. The guy says, well... I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about it because I'm about to move there. I've never been there, but I'm, I have to relocate there. I'm going to be there for a while. What's it like? What are the people like? So the farmer says, could you tell me something? The guy says, yeah. He says, what were the people like in the town that you're, move, that you're moving from? He says, oh, well, really, to tell you the truth... They're not good people. They're petty and they're jealous and they're backstabbing, conniving. Uh, everybody is competing with each other. It's not, it's not a nice place, very, very stressful place to live. And uh, I'm actually very glad to be getting away from them. The farmer says, I'm very sorry to tell you that you're going to find that the people in the town you're going to are just like that too. What's the lesson? Again, I say it's a parable, which means a story that never happened, but it didn't need to happen because there's a certain truth behind it. You ever, uh, how old were you when you discovered that if you drink orange juice soon after brushing your teeth, that it's no good, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, br brushing your teeth doesn't make orange juice not sweet. Orange juice is sweet. But for you, it's, it's not sweet. It's not a good, doesn't, it's not compatible. There are, 
it, and it's and it's an interesting thing because you know it, today you know quantum theory. Not that I know anything about it, but there's an idea of the conscious observer and the observer effect, and that by seeing and measuring and evaluating something in this world, it actually causes it to be that way. So the way we perceive something is actually more than perception, can actually create a reality, at least for ourselves. And what other reality do we have than, than, than our own? So I'll tell you another story. This story has to do with the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayatz, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok, whose yard site is today, Yud Shvat, the 10th day of the month of Shvat. He passed away in uh, Tuf Shin Yud, that's 1950. And uh, his leadership began back in Russia, after Lubavitch had been displaced from the town of Lubavitch, but he continued in Russia, um, not in Lubavitch, but uh, various locations there. Then he had to leave Russia, and there were different uh, stops on the way, um, but then there was another period of time where he was in Poland, and uh, then eventually America. So to oversimplify it, there were basically three eras. There was the Russian era, and the Polish era, and then there was the American era, the last 10 years um, in, in, in Crown Heights at 770. So the story I want to tell you is from the first era, is from the Russian era. Obviously, the, each, each of these eras was marked by different challenges. And um, the first era, the Russian era, was marked by... Uh, severe persecution at the hands of the communists. Um, in fact, the, the, the previous Rebbe himself was, was public enemy number one, an enemy of the state, and he in fact was, was arrested and he was sentenced to capital punishment and he was narrowly uh, saved from that, from that fate. So the times in Russia were all about dealing with very, um, very difficult situations for the Jewish communities, where where, where Judaism was just being, being targeted, and and the community was under extreme pressure, and the, the previous Rebbe was working hard to try to keep the 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 structure, the infrastructure of, of Judaism alive so that people would, re, would, would remain connected even during these very, very harrowing times. And as such, Friedrich Rebbe would have emissaries all over Russia, and he was in, he was in touch with a, a vast network of activists and leaders and people who were out in the field trying to keep Judaism alive in all the, the different locations throughout Russia. Anyways, um, one story happened where a couple of chassidim from the town of Odessa, came to the previous Rebbe at the same time. And each one reported personally to the, to the previous Rebbe in a, in a personal audience. So the first one came in, and the previous Rebbe asked him, in Odessa? What's going on you know, in the town of Odessa? So he says, well, you know, thank God, 
we do have the shul where you know there 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 are minyanim, people davening, and there there's a shear. People are learning Torah, and uh, you know we're holding it together, and uh, it's it's, a, it's it's okay, it's okay, Baruch Hashem. And uh, the previous Rebbe thanked him very much for his report, and then he gave him two rubles as a symbol of his hishtatfus, his participation in this Chassid's communal work. Now, there was another Chassid who came with him. They both came from the same place, from Odessa. And he was waiting to speak to the Friedrich Rebbe, to the previous Rebbe. And he was listening in, and he heard this whole exchange. And he was thinking to himself, why is this guy giving such a rosy depiction of what's going on in Odessa? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. So when he came to the Friedrich Rebbe, Friedrich Rebbe asked him, he says, Vostutzach in Odessa, what's going on in Odessa? And he says, well, you want to know the truth? I mean, there's a shul, but barely anyone comes to it. For sure not the young people. Um, does anyone keep Shabbos? I mean, is, does that, is, that, is, that, is that even on the map? People even think about that? I mean, kashras, I mean, do people even buy kosher meat? I mean, is anyone using the mikveh? It's a disaster. And yeah, there's a Torah class. How many people come to it? I mean, basically, assimilation is rampant, especially among the young generation. And we're losing people every day. And the, the situation is really, really not good. And the, the previous Rebbe thanked him for his report and sent him on his way. The guy got upset, though, because the first guy came in, and after he gave a report, the previous rabbi gave him two rubles to show that he wanted to participate in this chassid's work. Now, this chassid comes in, and he gives a realistic report, and not only he doesn't get two rubles, he doesn't get one ruble, he gets zero. So the guy actually asks, he says, Rebbe, this is the response to being honest. I'm only telling the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it like this other guy. I'm going to tell you what's really going on in Odessa. So the, the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe said, Oi, do you think that I'm asking you this question because I don't know what's going on in Odessa? I know very well what's going on in Odessa. I asked you the question to find out in which Odessa do you live? <laughs> two guys come from one place having two vastly different experiences. You think I don't know what's going on in Odessa? I know exactly what's going on in Odessa. I want to know in which Odessa do you live? So it's very easy to say, well, I'm being a realist, I'm being honest, yeah, okay, but what does it really tell us? It tells us where the person is connected. It tells us what the person's own experience is. And that experience is a reflection of what's going on internally. So if that's what you're seeing all around, that is an expression of what's going on inside of you. <coughs> and this is precisely, precisely what was happening in this story.
Now we can understand. Why, why does the Michilta say that the, 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 the water only became bitter right then? It was only bitter right then. And then the Michilta also says, and, and, and even if they had water in their canteens, that was bitter too. What's the answer? It's very simple. The whole thing makes sense, or at least the, 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 the Michilta makes sense. Because it wasn't the water, it was the way they were taking the water. And in fact, the Magid, this is an old Chassidah Shavort that goes all the way back to the second generation, goes back to the Magid of Mezrich. So the Magid used to say, So they came to Mara. They were unable to drink water from Mara. Because they were bitter. The simple way to read it, and that's, that's the simple pshat, the word mayim is plural in, in Lush and Kaidish. So they were bitter. It means the mayim, the waters. The waters were bitter. But the Magid of Mizrich used to read it like this. That... They came to Mara. They were unable to drink water from Mara. Why? Because they, the Jews, were bitter. The Jews were bitter, and therefore, any water they would have drunk would have been bitter. So that's what it means. It became bitter then. Because it was their perception that made it that way. And that's what it means. Any water they would have had to drink even water from the canteen. It didn't matter if it was from that source or not. It was an extension of and a reflection of their perception at that time. Okay, so now we've, we've explained almost all of the story. One thing we did not yet explain. How come it happened after three days? Punt, you know, dafke, like they say. Of all, of all times, of, you know, just, just, just my rotten luck. What timing? After three days of no new water sources, and now the water is bitter. It's a little bit. It's a bit, little bit funny. You know, it reminds me. My, my Zadi Olavashalm used to tell me a joke. His jokes were not very funny, but they were very instructive. So he said, he said there was once a farmer <coughs> who was losing money, and he realized it's because his horse eats too much food. Horse feed costs too much, so he cut down on the food. And he saw he's getting closer to making a profit. So then what did he do? He said, that's good, that's working. So he cut down more on the horse's food. And now he's getting even closer to making a profit. So he cut down more on the horse's food. And now he started making, he started making some money. He says, wow, this is really working good, good formula. So he cut down more on the horse's food. And now he was actually making enough money to live from farming. And then his horse died from starvation. He said, just my, my rotten luck. Right when I get to the point where I'm making money, and then my horse decides to go and die. Okay, right. Obviously, I told you, my, my grandfather's jokes were not funny, but they were very instructive. Just my rotten luck. Just when I have the horse down to eating little enough that I can turn a profit, now he dies. Yeah, he died because he starved him. All right. The point is, three days without water... Just my luck. Just after three days of no water, and now the now the waters are all bitter. You know what water is? Mm -hmm. Water is metaphor for Torah. 
Torah is water because it flows from the high place to the low place. It always finds the lowest place. Torah is Chachmasei Shalakadosh Baruch Hu, divine wisdom, and yet it settles down here so that we can relate to it and understand and apply it in our lives. So Torah is water. Three days without Torah. Why would their perceptions be so skewed that now life is bitter, everything is bitter, everything's, everything's awful, everything's dark, Because they went three days without life-giving water, without Torah. In fact, we learn from this verse, homiletically, this is why there's a Torah reading on Mondays and Thursdays. So that we should never go three days without a public Torah reading. You have on Shabbos, plus Mondays and Thursdays. And it's based, homiletically, on a drosha from this, from this pasuk, from this verse. Because if you go three days without water... It starts to color everything that you will experience. Your whole world, your whole life, the whole Odessa becomes a bad place. Mm -hmm. I was one time, I was in the south, and I saw, a, 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 in the Bible Belt, I saw a sign. And it said, um, seven days without Bible study makes one week. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> week, W-E-A-K. Seven days without Bible study makes one week. Get it? All right. But we say even more than that. Three days, God forbid, you know? Even a day, you'll start to get weak. Torah is our life. And what, what about Torah makes it our life? It's that it allows us to see reality the way Hashem sees reality. And when we see the truth, when we see how things really are, we see the goodness, we see the potential to everything. Or I mentioned today is the yard site of the previous Rebbe. So his... Mimer, his discourse that was released on the day of his passing, which he wrote to be released before it was known that it would be the day of his passing, um, is called Basilagani. I've come into my garden. It's Hashem speaking about this world as a place of pleasure and joy and comfort. Where, where, where it was, how it was initially when Hashem created the world, when Gan Eden was a place on this earth, and how it will be, and even more so when Mashiach comes and the Shekhinah returns to this world. So, if you don't have Torah for three days, or even for, for a day, uh, it starts to distort your entire experience of, of, of reality. So you're wondering, why are people so negative, and why are my experiences so negative? It's coming from within. And how, how did that come to be? Why are, how is our internal state in this place of negativity? Because we're not tapping into divine reality, to the truth. Oh, so that's the rest of the story. So how did Moshe remedy the waters? He took an eights. We said Torah is compared to water before, but Torah is also compared to a lot of things. Another thing Torah is compared to is an eights. Eights chayim hi lemachazikim ba. Like Shleimah Melech, King Solomon, the wisest of all men, says in Proverbs and Mishli, that the Torah is called a tree of life to hold fast to. So Moshe took <coughs> the tree, the eights, the Torah, and even a little piece of it. You don't have to learn the whole Torah. Even just a vort, an idea, a Jewish thought can change your whole perception of your day and of your life and of your reality. That's all it takes. So, bottom line, when we are experiencing negativity around us, we have to know that it comes from within us. And when we want to remedy the negativity from within us, we have to internalize the divine, holy perspective that is offered in Hashem's Torah.